Hello, hello, hello. I am your Alexandra Billings, hostess with the most, this Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the most is Munoz. And how y'all doing? <laughs> folks, can you believe summer is over officially? Labor Day weekend was incredible. I stuffed my face full of more lobster rolls. What a weird summer this has been for me. Has it been for, like that for you? I mean, I've had more lobster rolls than I could handle, like, very blessed, blessed and highly favored. And, you know, it was just like very, very odd. I mean, given coming through this pandemic and still being in it at the same time, oddly, it's all just very weird and like kind of dealing with like that PTSD of being stuck inside and anxiety and what and whatnot. It's it was very weird and very great at the same time. And, you know, I got to connect with a lot of different people and go to a lot of different places this time, uh, work-related or not. So, yeah, um, summer, over. Bring on the pumpkin spice latte. Absolutely not, actually. I'm not, <laughs> I am not here for a PSL anything. But uh, moving right along, I am so excited because we have a lot to cover today, folks. We have a lot to cover because I am so excited for today's guest. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Marcella from Say Hi. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm awesome. Are your loins girded? Because and are you ready for the tomfoolery that is that is going to be today's episode? I I don't think you understand how excited I am to have you here. We've been trying to connect for so long and making this happen. Finally, I'm just so excited. 
Yeah, I, I really am too. And I'm very honored to have you here. I'm very honored for you to give me of your time today because I know you are very, very, very busy. So thank you just from the jump. But you know what, Marcel? Oh my God, Marcel, I love your name, by the way. Thank you. Right? I, I wish I wish we were BFF or like I worked in front of house for you because I'd always be like, Marcel! <laughs> <laughs> It's a good, it's a good screaming name. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Don't mind me. Listen, Marcel, before we get anywhere in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I need to wish you happy National Date Nut Bread Day. Oh, yeah. Sick. Right? I love dates. Date nut bread. I, I feel like it's, a, it's kind of appropriate. Yeah, that's delicious. I've never had date nut bread, or maybe I have. I can't. I feel like it's like um, just a like a fruit cake. Yeah. What, what'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> I I I get. I guess it's a fruit cake. Like an OG fruit cake, right? Yeah. I I, yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. Where's Michael Twitty when you need OG fruit cakes? The OG. We are, I am an OG fruitcake from way back, honey. <laughs> Do you bake a lot of breads like this? I I have made a lot of breads like that in the past. I worked in an Italian bakery. So we did a lot of, you know, uh, kind of like fruited and seeded cakes and breads during holidays and stuff like that. Yeah, fr- fruited and seeded, but like, you know, it, it just is like, an accurate description of, uh, of everything that I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So no matter what you celebrate out there, I don't think there's very much uh, left to say about, like, date nuts and bre- date nut bread. Like, it's, it's such a weird day. I don't know who comes up with these things. But no matter what you celebrate out there, we want to wish you happy National Date not bread day and moving right along to this day in gay history marcel did you know that in 2008 rachel maddow becomes the first openly gay anchor of a major primetime news program in the united states as host of the rachel maddow show on msnbc huge huge day huge huge i would have always thought it was like anderson cooper or somebody True. And I bet that she was like one of the very few women in general who were who was doing that. And the fact that she was openly out while doing so, both probably really massive. Yeah. I mean, and it's only 2008. Once I again, mean, you like scroll through now, there aren't. No. People through the spectrum of life that are doing those sort of shows. Yeah, honestly, hello. All of that to say, representation matters, whether it's in the kitchen or on your news channel. Shout out to you, Gio Benitez. Mm. Uh, <laughs> or or wherever, right? We need to see we need to see ourselves represented. And I love this day in gay history, but I want to get to the getting on and celebrate you, Marcel. And like I said, you know what? This uh, this must have been like right time, right place, because I always think it's kismet when it takes, you know, when our schedules don't align and then they finally do. 
right? Yeah. And I'm so thankful for you being here. But Indio Mouth listeners, if you don't know who Marcel Afram is, and you probably already do. Now, this is yet one of those other bios that, like, Marcel has done so much and accomplished so much that there was no way that I was I I was going to, like, slice and dice their uh bio because like it, it would just be a disservice to them and all my guests are doing fabulous things just some of them are doing the most in the best of all possible ways so Marcel Lefram is the chef and owner of Shababi Palestinian Rotisserie Chicken and draws on their West Asian roots to celebrate the cuisine of their ancestors and to pay homage to Palestinian inspired cuisine. Marcel grew up in the restaurant industry working various positions at the mom and pop style restaurants their family owned and operated in the D.C. area. They took a hands-on approach to their culinary education whenever possible with a dutiful respect to locality and a fascination with history. Muy importante there. Marcel spent time working on fishing boats in Puerto Rico. Hey, shout out to PR. A grass-fed beef cooperative in Wisconsin, as well as multiple stages in Michelin-starred restaurants in Spain. Years later, Marcel took the helm as executive chef at Blue Jacket Brewery, where they focused on sustainable sourcing through local farms and producers and chairing multiple farm dinners and fundraisers. And if you think that that's just not like enough packed into one lifetime. Recently, Marcel led the team at Michelin starred Maidan. At the onset of the pandemic, Marcel partnered with multiple local charities to feed thousands of people in need in the D.C. area. Following the devastating blast in Beirut, Marcel co-founded the Beitna Initiative that helped raise direct relief funds for the people of Beirut. Following their stint with Maidan, Marcel conceptualized and launched Shababi, a passion project stemming back to their roots. The menu pays homage to the Levant with a focus on Palestine, manifested through memories of meals growing up, surrounded by family, and flavors of home, brought to life through the many hands that fed the family. Shababi, Palestinian rotisserie chicken, is a Fram's playful take on not just the flavors, but the feeling of being surrounded by family, sharing a meal and moment in time. Marcel has been acknowledged for their culinary contributions and leadership with a nomination for 2020 Rami Rising Culinary Star, one Michelin star for their 2020 tenure at Maidan, multiple mentions in the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Eater, Men's Health Magazine, Zagat, and other public publications. Marcel believes that through food, one can walk the path towards social justice advocacy. In addition to making cuisine representative of their heritage, they aim to bring awareness to political and social justice issues through their medium with a focus on the transgender community and advocacy for Palestine. They believe that food can be a unifying force that brings people together. Marcel has partnered with various social justice groups to raise funds and break down walls of bias and mis misinformation. Food has proven a worthy carrier of change. Marcel, wow. Wow. You know what? I recently did this with Michael Twitty, right? Because Michael Twitty, much like you, is is so accomplished in a very specific and beautiful way. What's And you know what? I think it's an important question to ask. What's that like hearing that back? 
it's really humbling. It's overwhelming, you know, because I'm just me and I'm just doing what I can with what I have. I know that I belong to a lot of marginalized spaces. I also understand that I have a privilege in a way that a lot of us in those marginalized spaces don't. And so it seems like the only thing to do is push forward and speak up. Hearing it back is overwhelming, you know, because in all those moments, I think that there's there's like definitely an imposter syndrome throughout it all. And it's like, I'm never doing enough. You know, there's always more to be done. Um, and I think that like, especially like last year, like the whole aspect of like personal allocates or accolades, sorry, accolades, like, or the goals that I had definitely shifted because it was like, this isn't about me, you know, like this is about everyone that I can stand for, you know, and that I think just like pushed everything that I realized that I was able to do to a new level, to a new space, to kind of like this new fresh realization, you know, of, of all that. So hearing it back, it's like, it's overwhelming, you know? I think also I was like such a sad little kid who was like always made fun of and didn't have any friends. And I was like, oh, what this is like the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden I'm like really able to accomplish some impactful things. And it's it's a lot. It doesn't seem real, you know? Yeah, abs- absolutely, absolutely. And before we dive, dive really deep into all of it, because there's so much to unpack here in so little time. You know, you have done interviews everywhere. You've thrown recipes everywhere in your mouth, listeners. Just just use your best friend Google and you will find all the information, all the interviews. You know, and I kind of like to start in a place, especially with someone so accomplished who's doing so many things, you know, on the other side of on the other side of the coin, right? To to get to know who is Marcel. So like What's the what's the guilty pleasure, Marcel? Food or otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so basic. I'm like I'm like white rice and chicken fingers are like my most favorite thing ever. Oh, <laughs> white rice and chicken fingers? Yes. I'm obsessed with sardines, which is like I talk about frequently. I love tinned fish. But outside of, like, my well-known <laughs> obsession with tin fish, like, let me tell you, I can just sit down with a bowl of white rice and some chicken fingers, and that makes me so happy. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wait a minute. <laughs> a couple things here now. White rice, everything. My mother makes – my mother, my Puerto right. Rican mother, shout out to you, Mama Gladys, um, makes – the best white rice I've ever had in my life. I don't know what she does to it. And it's just white rice. And growing up, I used to eat white rice and ketchup and it used to be my favorite thing. White rice and ketchup, I still think is one of my favorite guilty pleasures as is brown rice and soy sauce. I don't know what makes me go gaga for it, but that's... It's a great vessel. I'm a ranch dressing with the white rice. <laughs> a, a white rice and ranch dressing. Yeah, yeah I, I could be down. I could be down or throw like the ranch dressing powder in the yeah. in the water as it boils. So oh, it like yeah. soaks it all up. Is that like, oh, my God, can we start like a TikTok yeah, trend? We just, yeah, we just we're on to something here. This is huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And as far as tinned fish, where was I recently? 
that somebody had a whole section of their menu of tinned fish. Where? I don't know. That's like a thing that's coming about. And there was an entire section of menu that was different tinned fish served in like the cans, like, but in different ways. I that sounds like heaven. What's, what's with the obsession with tinned fish? It was just like, so my grandfather, I like, he helped raise me and he just had this room in his basement. Like, I'm serious. It was like a pantry and it was just stocked to the brim with tin fish. And I'm sure that like, you know, it's them, it's rooted in like some survival thing, right? Like as an immigrant who had been running from country to country and like probably like the idea of having packaged food that survives forever was ingrained in him as that's, a survival. That's not also not heavy to carry. Right, exactly. And so, but he loved it and he shared it with me. And, you know, he always really treated me like an equal, even though I was a six-year-old kid hanging out with him. And, you know, if he was grabbing a tin of sardines, he would be like, here's your tin of sardines. So I'd just be like, six years old, mowing down on a tin of sardines with my grandpa. And it just evolved into something that like was a really easy go-to. And I think that like, I, you know, I lived, um, I lived homeless for a, a long period of my twenties. And that again, kind of like that whole survival thing it was really easy to have a tin of fish in my bag though. Like when I was, you know, crashing at my friend's places, they didn't appreciate that so much. <laughs> I cracked that tin open. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, it was, yeah. And so to this day, it's just like such an easy go-to like after a long shift at work, come home and just like crack open a tin of sardines, you know, and yeah. Um, survival through the pandemic when I was yeah. stuck in 120 square feet of Times Square. If you go through my Instagram or if you were watching my stories, yeah, it was always like tuna tacos and like <laughs> different, different, uh, I guess, tinned fish like styles that I was making every afternoon for lunch because what else was there to do but open a can? Totally. <laughs> and eat and eat. You just said something that uh, I talk about fairly often here on the podcast is about homeless LGBTQ youth and how the world doesn't realize that a very large percentage of the homeless youth in America is LGBTQ. And I didn't want to miss a, a moment for to reiterate that because it is important to keep putting out there, right? Uh, so as we as we move into very quickly the holiday season and we start opening up our charity pockets um, to donate to places that foster care for these LGBTQ youth out there, um, which is very, very, very important. Marcel, you are, and this is why I'm so honored to have you here, you are my first transgendered person, my first beautiful transgendered chef on the podcast. And, and I'm so excited. And yet I, I celebrate, listen, I've been doing this. We don't know each other in your mouth listeners as I don't know most of my guests. But if you've been with me for a long time, since 2009, I've kind of just been paving my own way as a Latino queer 
food person in the food world, but also opening the doors for the LGBT community or trying to lead a charge or carve out a space for all of us. And that's what this podcast does. And I have been on a mission to like kind of encompass the whole community, Marcel. And so it's a big honor and a big pleasure to have you here. But why do you think that is that like I, I, the... I haven't found more of the trans community in a food space. Well, because pro- large sigh, large sigh. Yeah, I mean, it's so com. I mean, it's not complicated, right? Like there is, there has been something really, really wrong with the industry for a really long time. That includes inclusivity and also safe spaces. And we are the most vulnerable, you know. And there is a lot to fear. And I think that what I realized, um, I, I actually kind of realized I, I'm 36 years old. I didn't come out until last year when I was 35. I didn't even really start realizing that I was a trans man and realize that there was a space for that in general, even outside of the food world until I was like 34 years old. Um, just because there was such maybe my narrow visibility on it and I kind of had blinders and that may have been intentional, but that's like a whole nother thing. But um, Chef Pax in Puerto Rico actually was someone that I connected with online and they're uh, transmasculine. And I started, I got to know them and I actually went to Puerto Rico and we met and we had a great time. This was before I came out and the way that they spoke about themselves and the and being trans um, on their social media was really eye opening to me, and that visibility was so impactful. Um, and I realized that not only is there a space to be a trans man, but also non-binary, and that was like just blew my mind, right? And as I kind of started to search for my people in the spaces of everywhere, right? Because, like, rabbit hole, like, okay, where are we? Like, I need this visibility. I need to understand myself better. I need the connections. You're right. I was like, this is the only other person that I've been able to see that I can relate to. Wild. And I also, uh, so I came out on social media August of last year. And the response was so overwhelming. And I mean, like people like my, my bubble was super supportive and I'm, I'm really grateful and very privileged for that. Um, I also like am in a stable place, right? And I think that maybe a, a lot of my adulthood wasn't stable. So that made it a little difficult to come out or to understand myself, find myself, whatever. <clears throat> Nonetheless, a lot of the people that reached out to me are trans people that are not out or scared because they are in the restaurant industry. And, you know, we've seen this major shift of like all of these terrible douchebags getting what they deserve. Yeah, we can say say it. This is our space. This is our space. Yeah, for all of the right reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And... We're, we're seeing people getting called out for all of the right reasons. We're seeing this major shift, I think, with, you know, kind of like my generation of people in the kitchen, like our generation of people in the kitchen, right, wanting to make massive changes for those that are in their kitchens. But they're like the system kind of needs to be cracked from the top, right, because it's a broken system. And I think we're, we're constantly trying to fix it 
rather than just reinvent it. And there's definitely space to reinvent it. And I think the first reinvention needs to be, this is a safe space. You can have this career without worrying for yourself, your safety, and your livelihood, right? Because it's also really hard. And just like you said, there's such a large amount of trans homeless youth. And then once they turn 18, they're not youth anymore, but there's a very likely chance that they're still homeless, right? And so this whole vulnerability of being transgender, being in in a position without stability, right? And then going into something like the restaurant industry where there is this kind of terrifying machismo vibe to it kind of estranges us from what could be this really beautiful sector of passion and food and a career, right? And I think that I, at least here in DC, and I know that in a lot of our major cities, we are seeing a major shift of um, a lot of us speaking out and trying to break the system from the top, you know? Huge, and- a huge shift, a huge, at least people are being way more vocal now than, listen, I've been in hospitality for 23 years, front of house management, whatever. I've, I've seen it all in these kitchens. And, you know, even that breath you took after you said the word machismo in describing the, like, literally sent me back to a place of like, oh, I felt it for you because I know, I know what that is, right? And, we are, and we're forever talking, right? The royal we here uh, yeah. on In Your Mouth. It, the about the hypermasculinity of the kitchens and toxic kitchen culture and so on and so forth and how and how easily it could be changed and and how the dynamic cuz I've been in both sides of the kitchen a kitchen where there was no yelling there was no throwing of things there was no like madness right and how well oiled that machine worked because everyone was valued as a cog in the machine. Like you do this and you do this right. Okay. That's not right. You need a little bit more sauce on the plate, or this needs to be a little bit more golden when you pull this out of the fryer or whatever. Right. And we've seen the, the high stress of angry chef, angry sous chef, throwing plates, clearing the, you know, clearing the line, throwing people out like that whole, like the Gordon Ramsay effect yeah. of it all, you know, because I truly don't, actually don't believe he's that way. I feel like it's an act all for television. He's made a lot of money on toxic kitchen culture. Yeah, but um, but yeah, there is space, and imagine and imagine the 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 way things would be if if it was just a a welcome and open space. Because I talk about it with everybody. We've been here. Marcel, yeah, you've been you've been here. Yeah, we've been here. Even yep. even the last two episodes with Michael Twitty. Michael Twitty is a culinary historian. Took me back to antebellum days, right? And finding readings and stories of of the kitchen, uh, the enslaved kitchen workers talking about basically being gay. Yeah, like we've been here. So. So yeah, it's it's special. I think it's important that people hear this side of the story. And this is why I was seeking you, you know? This is why, you know, I was on your butt being like, come on, we need to hear this. This is so important and this is so special. And I really want to thank you, right, for being so open and sharing with all of us here um, because it's a, it's, 
it's a side of the food world, especially the food world that we don't we don't get to hear, right? That is that the re- re- I know the representation is out there. I know we are all out there in some form, right? And if we all just came out and like like talked about it, I think I think we can really push this change forward. Totally. I totally agree. And I think so much, I think the really sad thing though in that is that a lot of us don't have safe spaces to do so, right? And we don't have the autonomy to do so, you know? And that's why I felt this overwhelming responsibility. And I'm not saying that I, it was certainly wasn't like a savior complex. It was just like, okay, this is me. First of all, like I suffocated my own self and my own story for so long. I know that if I was little and I saw someone like me, like, with this platform, just talking about themselves, right? Because I'm not like, I'm not here saying that I'm speaking for everybody. I'm like, this is just my story. This is what I've gone through. If you can find information in that, that's helpful. Like, great, great, you know? And also, like, it draw it, it creates a bridge, right? Because like, honestly, like, at least in the DC area, people had already known me for my food before I came out, right? And I, I had already done a lot of work, like, with kind of, you know, local farm, local farmers and like kind of, uh, you know, connecting them to chefs and restaurants and all of these things. And I'd been hosting charity events and people already knew me for my food. And as this person who was standing up for particular things, so then, you know, coming out as uh, trans and non-binary, um, it's like, I'm, it, it, it showed that like, I'm still me right? I've always been this. I've always been here. This is just me finding the right words, the, the right way, the right things for myself that'll let that person come to the surface, you know? Yeah. And it shows a sense of, I think, accessibility, especially to people who might be in a similar situation, trying to kind of find their place, um, specifically in the transgender community, right? Like, oh, these things, these options are possible. And I think just sharing my narrative on that end um, has, I just hope in, in, like you were saying, in the space of visibility. Yeah, absolutely. Does something, you know? Absolutely. And let me tell you something. The chicken tastes no different. If the chicken is good, the chicken is good. Yeah. (laughs) And Marcel, I'm kind of upset that there isn't any chicken in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need you to figure that out, okay? This is literally why it's taken us months to connect because I'm like elbows deep in chicken every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was a proposition or a euphemism for something. <laughs> oh my God, Marcel, before we get, before I take you out to the break, I really, I'm really uh, enjoying this journey that I've been on lately of talking about gay food, queer food, what makes food inherently like gay. Any, any thoughts or opinions on it? I think that there is like, okay, so there's like this flair and this like finesse and this like almost like song and dance relationship, right? Like that connects the food with us as queer people, you know, like there's this, like, there's this like representation of like who we are of this like passion and energy, right? Because like overall there's this passion for like capturing life 
the essence of like everything this like you know the joy of what it is to be queer people right and like when you're wearing that on your sleeve and you're creating food with that like there you can't really find that coming out in other spaces in the same way right like there's just this real love affair well you know what i'm going to use your own words against you marcel here um because i just quoted from your bio you know food has proven a worthy a worthy carrier of change you have you hath saideth to me and um and as someone who's gone through a lot of change right from just growing up period right your your yeah. story is is one of change yeah um how does that apply to the food right because there i th- i think within there is is the answer it's all about for me in that essence it's all about like redeeming what's mine you know yeah, yeah. Let's sit with that for a minute. I love I, I love a pregnant pause. <laughs> incredible, incredible. I um I I almost want to go back to like the tin fish of it all, you know, and like sitting with grandpa and and having these like familial moments of you know because food is has always been inherently about like family. Yeah. Right. And we. And we as LGBTQ people, queer people, however, however this label goes, um, ha- more often than not have to find our own families, right? And I'm, I'm blessed and privileged that I, I still have my mother and mo- my brother who love me and are a great chosen family, you know, and you yourself have a beautiful family that also work with you, right? And your son's a sous chef looking like... Sorry to say it, but not sorry. Your son's looking like a snack in in, <laughs> in these things. That's that's going to be a beautiful person, honey. Um, but yeah, like food has always been familial and about the family, and you sharing that story of you and your grandfather with tin fish, or you saying things that food, you know, food is a worthy carrier of change. Here is is how is how I'm thinking, at least through this conversation, is how, we're, is how we can define queer food in this moment and, and bringing us together and you bringing, bringing change to your community, not only your community, right, but well beyond your community, right? Yeah. A- and bringing that together. Yeah. Yeah, and also there's something that, there's a saying that we have a Shababi whenever we... <clears throat> like serve the meal, right? And it's thank you for having us at your table. And because it's a to-go program, right? It's a carry-out program. So the hospitality aspect was a little like hard to kind of figure out how to really like give everyone, I, I wanted people to feel my heart. This is so much of what I'm doing right now has is so ingrained and is sincerely coming from all my heart. And I, we talk a lot about family and but I wanted my family and myself to be an extension through this food to whomever's having it or partaking in it. Or even if you can't have it and you just follow us on social media or whatever, and you're like a part of the story and a part of like the progress and kind of the narrative of what's been going on. Right. 
I just want people to know that like, you know, our, our family's arms are open and in the humblest, most humble way, like here you go. And thank you so much for having us at your table, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like we should break into a chorus of "We are a family, like a giant tree." <laughs> My voice will crack. My voice is still dropping so much; it's like cracks in the most ridiculous ways. Oh, really? Get out of here! Get out of here! Um, I love all of this. I love this conversation. Um, uh, Shababi is to go, and you know what? There still isn't an Uber Eats at my door yet. <laughs> what would that What would that Uber Eats cost from DC to New York? Could you imagine? <laughs> you know that four hour drive. <laughs> probably more money than either one of us has. Pro- probably, probably. <laughs> but I'm still gonna make it. I'm still gonna like just keep pressing the issue. You know why? Because. It's what I do. And with that, I think now is the best time in your mouth, listeners, to introduce Marcel to my favorite part of the podcast and your favorite part of the podcast, a little something we like to call... Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Food News Update! Food news, Ooh, honey. You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News update. Twix seasoning is real, and you're supposed to try it on chicken wings. Yum. If you all could have just seen Marcel's face right now. Yum is not what I expected, though. Wait a second. Really? Like a Twix powdered seasoning for your chicken wings? Oh, my gosh. It's like bet it's like mole flavors or something, right? Like what's like caramel, chocolate. All right. We're, like, we're going we're going to get into yes. that, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, thank you, Food and Wine, uh, for providing not a sponsor, but for providing me with most of my food news stories. This is crazy. New Jersey-based B and G Foods uh, sells plenty of seasonings and spices. They are the providers of Mrs. Mrs. Dash blends, Molly McButter, and many others. And Twix Shakers seasoning blend is is their latest one, and it tastes like, you guessed it, Twix candy bars. It's arriving exclusively at Sam's Club on se- last week, on September 1st, and there's going to be a larger rollout to other grocers in the next coming months. So, it's, uh, Marcel, it's billed as combining the bar's crunchy cookie, soft caramel, and milk chocolate flavors to create the unmistakable essence of Twix that lovers of the chocolate bar can shake on about any tweet, as quoted by Food and Wine here. And what, like, gave me a little, like, I was a little bothered by this statement. 
Just a hair. One of our favorite recipes, uh, this person goes on to say, is Twix barbecue sauce. The recipe, which includes ketchup, honey, Worcestershire, lemon juice, chipotle sauce, and, of course, Twix, Twix shakers seasoning blend, is a bold play on traditional mole sauce for the ideal chicken wings. Now, are we, mm. are we really going to bastardize, uh, right, our Mexican no. brothers and sisters mole no. sauce here? no, no. no. I, I think that if you're like, this is Twix, and you eat it, and you're like, hmm, this t- reminds me of a mole, and you have, like, a cognitive, like, connection, you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't expect that. But then, like, being like, this is what this is, is a whole nother <laughs> area, an arena that is not cool. Right, right. Okay, so we're on the same page. Yeah. Not here for the Twix mole of it all, but no. maybe, maybe here for like a Twix moment, right? Uh, I guess I have to ask the question: Are you a right Twix or a left Twix? I think I'm a right Twix. I'm a I'm a first Twix. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be a, Twix and iced tea used to be my lunch every day in high school. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I haven't had a Twix, and so oh my god, you know Marcel, what's so delicious that I just remembered? <gasps> Have you ever had the Twix ice cream bars? Oh my gosh, yes! Oh, I totally forgot about those. I forgot about them till literally right now. We used to go to the bodega, open the like the little freezer in front of the counter, pick those up mm, for a dollar. Yes, those were so good. But also, were they just like frozen Twix? Basically, <laughs> but it was ice cream, like. There was, there was an ice cream, ice cream layer. layer. They didn't just like lie to us and like repackage them. And no, like, this is Twix ice cream, but it's actually <laughs> just a frozen Twix. <laughs> will we will we be seeing a, a, a Twix shaker seasoning at Shababi anytime soon? No, for your absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> also, when you said grosser, you like the emphasis on gross. Definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you. Listen, I, I no shade to Twix whatsoever here, right? Also, Twix is not a sponsor, but um, these these opinions are mine and mine only. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm I've always been a more savory than sweet kind of lady over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I, my palate goes towards the salty, and then maybe give me a cookie or like a piece of dark chocolate, and I'm good. Sure. You know what about you? Uh, it, it definitely changed. So I was like hated sweets and now I can't get enough of them. But I think I, so I've been sober from alcohol for about a year. And I think that has a lot to do with how much sugar my body is craving constantly. Um, but I go more towards like fresh fruit. I've been really enjoying my fresh fruit lately. Oh, yeah. oh, how practical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? A Twix shaker... On like a pineapple moment, right? Yeah. Or a mango moment? Mango, I could, yeah. I could be here for. Yeah, but also, like, do we need it? We don't. I mean, is this really about necessity? <laughs> it kind of, you know, I think it, it left a really uh, sour taste in my mouth with the whole actual, like, let's make a mole out of it moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean that's the, that's the PR and marketing of it all, right? Who knows what that? Who knows who's behind those things? But anyways, I don't know. I feel like 
Marcel and I are very indifferent about the Twix. And we're just going to leave it right there. Your last lip ride could have been in the Wienermobile. Now, Marcel, this is a little bit of an old article. It's a couple weeks old, but I, I knew about it and then I forgot about it. And now I felt like I really needed to talk about it. Have you heard about this? No, please. Share. So, so Oscar Mayer a couple weeks ago had teamed up with the rideshare app Lyft to surprise riders with the iconic hot do- dog car. Basically, you'd order your lift, and you didn't know if the, the Wienermobile was showing up or not. Can you imagine if you're, like, going to a job interview? Or, <laughs> you're like, like going, or going to something, like, a, a real, you know, to get real dark with it, going to, like, the hospital for something right. very devastating, or, like, yeah. and then the Wiener. <laughs> you, like, see a sick friend, like, the Wienermobile shows up. You're like, oh, I think I broke my foot. <laughs> I need a lift. I need a lift because that's the thing too, right? That people use lifts and Ubers and rideshare apps to like take themselves to the hospital because they can't afford yeah. ambulances. Yep. Could you have? I mean, we got really dark on, a, yeah, on, a, on what I thought that's was going to happen. I was like, fuck. <laughs> God, damn. It is not funny, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, like, I mean, listen, my baloney has no name. But if it was Oscar Mayer, like, I, I would have enjoyed an Oscar Mayer Wienermobile Do you moment. think it smells like Wiener in there? I don't know. Do you think it's it one, it's like one of my ass? favorite scents. <laughs> <laughs> like, you step out and, like, you're just essence, oh, hot dog. Listen, li- I wouldn't be mad, you know? <laughs> I've, I've smelt like worse, Marcel. <laughs> Do they serve Oscar Mayer products in the Wienermobile? I would be mad if they didn't. Um, I would be disappointed. Uh, the brand said riders can simply request a Lyft XL. Oh, so you got to pay top dollar for the wiener. Uh, and one of the Oscar Myers hot doggers uh, may show up in a 27. It's a 27 foot hot dog on wheels. What? Where is this? Uh, it was happening in major cities. You know, I, like, half read this article. Uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Atlanta. Right? Seven foot. Yeah. Riders would have enjoyed uh, the trip with music, neon lights, free shirts, hot dog masks, and, of course, weenie whistles. Why is that, of course, weenie whistle? Oh, Oh, yes, because that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. Wait, hot dog masks? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they smell like, if there's uh, scratch and sniff, you like you go around. Like eye masks? No, like, like like COVID masks. Like Oh, COVID masks. I was so confused. Okay. Right? Imagine walking around in, yeah. that, in that job interview or into the hospital with like a big hot dog over your face. <laughs> Terrible. Oh my gosh. This is incredible, but not. <laughs> <laughs> People are so bored. Well, listen, we've had to come up with new ways to entertain ourselves. And you know what? Listen, the pandemic has opened all sorts of like odd doors up at, in my life. And I feel like in everybody's life, everyone is going through it in all sorts of different ways. I've discovered like 
like anxiety to like the fullest extent, all right? And even post-pandemic, right, that I'm dealing with, right, looking for a therapist, the whole thing, right? Mm. There is help out there for y'all if you need it. But like, if I was going somewhere cute and the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile just randomly showed up, I think that would really brighten my day. Yeah, you know? also though, I think the main question in all of this is, is it complimentary? Do they still charge you for it? Oh, well, Food and Wine uh, magazine. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, I think. <laughs> they're, yeah. Like, they're like, oh, that's your $45 XL in the Wienermobile. Right, well, I mean... <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, uh, I don't know also if you know, in past food news updates, you could have also rented the Mobile as an Airbnb or um, for weddings as well. Fun. Yeah, fun, right? Yeah. I think this is fun. I am here for any sort of wiener as, as long as it's coming at me, um, right? And as long as I don't have to pay for it. It's more fun than Twix seasoning. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. And last but not least, and thank you for this headline, Food and Wine, you don't have to be ready for Flaming Hot Mountain Dew, but it's happening. <laughs> Marcel is like, what the fuck did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> that gives like that gives like a new definition to beer can chicken. Flaming Hot Mountain Dew. It's just like... Non-alcoholic fireball. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. And let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, I guess as a teenager, I would drink Mountain Dew. But why is Mountain Dew, like, the soda that does the most? Like, every two minutes, Mountain Dew has, like, a new flavor, a new color, a new... Uh, like, they're just always doing something, no? Because they can, right? But, like, why can't, like... I just want to, like, tell, like, grab... Mountain Dew and be like, you are enough. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe because their like main product is like the color of something that none of us would ingest unless it's Mountain Dew. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I don't know. And they're like, we can get away with anything. I can't tell you the last time I had any soft beverage like that. But uh, basically, and there isn't much to say about this, Mountain Dew has obviously paired up with Flaming Hot um, style of Cheetos corn snacks and, like, put it in oh. a drink, right? Oh, and so it's like that. Yeah, it's like a collab. Mountain Dew x Flaming Hot Cheetos, you know? <laughs> Is that like the Mountain Dew Psalm pairing? Yeah, I mean, gross. I I mean, I would try it if they sent it to me, right? But like, think about like, oh, who wants who wants a spicy beverage? Right? I mean, I guess I drink spicy margaritas. So what's the difference? Um, it's Mountain Dew and cheese. So so you're telling me if I took some Mountain Dew and some Flaming Hot Cheetos and just buzzed them together? Yeah, this is what we're getting. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you have to... indigestion just like talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's I intense. Mean, I mean, pass the tums, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can only get this uh, flaming hot Mountain Dew on their website, right? Along with all other flame uh, Mountain Dew swag, which I didn't know that they had. But you know what? 
Uh, green is my color. That chartreuse is my color. So, like, Mountain Dew, I am here for the color, at least. Like, send me all the swag. <laughs> what color is the flaming Hot Mountain Dew? I'm, I'm going to assume it's, like, that bright red-orange. Yeah. Right? They don't... They, they only show the can here with, like, those little... Those little... You know what they look like on the can? Those little, uh, flames in, in, like, the old Mario that used to cha- uh-huh. chase you around. <laughs> With like feet and arms, yeah. that's what they. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you could. I mean, brine a chicken in it. Everything comes back to the chicken, Marcel. It all comes back to the chicken, right? <laughs> and with that, I think that's the best way to end food news update. How was that for you? Was that life changing? That was so amazing. I can't stop thinking about the Mountain Dew, though. It's, like, really resonating. Right? I mean, it was a very weird... This is why I love Food News Update. It was very weird today, and usually it's weird, but it was extra weird today with just, like, the the Twix seasoning and, like, spicy Mountain Dew and a wiener that just randomly shows up at your door. Yeah. It seems like you should be doing all those things in the wiener. Yeah, I guess. You know? I mean... Mm. Go as far as opening the grinder app and invite someone over. Hello. <laughs> Make it a party. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> what did you say about your baloney? <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Um, let's talk about. You know what? Uh, I there is no there is no transition here. We're just gonna jump into. You know, you are super family based. We've talked a lot about family, and I've noticed you talk a, a bit about diaspora culture, which is something I actually haven't touched upon here in the pod. Interestingly enough, because there's been some really, you know, there's just never enough time, right? And I kind of wanted to touch on it with you and like the importance of diaspora culture, what it means, so on and so forth. Take it away. Well, there's like <laughs> no real simple way to talk about. My I know it's, it's really complicated. Yeah. It's really know? complicated. And you know, my family, um, my ancestors, my family were from West Asia, which we don't like to say Middle East because that's not what it is, <laughs> but you know, uh, so really, Long story short, essentially part of my family is Assyrian um, from like the upper Mesopotamia region and has been and fleed persecution from the Ottomans uh, who were imposing genocides on the Assyrians and Armenians at the time um, in the early, it's really started in the late 1800s. And they met my, uh, the other side of my family uh, in Palestine where they immigrated to um, or they fled to actually, they were refugees. And that's where both sides of my family came together. So I am a Syrian and Arab. Um, and then in 1948, um, my grandparents uh, were forcefully removed from their homes in the Nakba. Um, my dad's family went to Damascus, Syria. My mom's family went to Beirut, Lebanon, where they fled uh, because of war. Um, and it's so complex, you know, and I think that <clears throat> there is... So much, like, we, we were raised with uh, a real connection to our roots, but 
it wasn't as simple as just saying that, right? It's like, be proud, be all of these things, but also like hide, don't talk about it, you know? And, and we, we never outside of my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, um, we weren't given very much information, even though we were immersed in it, you know, as far as our background, our history, the Assyrian culture, the Arab culture. And as an adult now, I look back on it and I'm like, okay, and it's kind of what we touched based on, you know, a little earlier. And I was like, it's all about survival, right? Yeah. When you're of diaspora culture, you, at the time, of course, I'm like, oh, they're lying about everything. And sure, maybe they are, but really they're just trying to protect to survive. And I think that, you know, I have a real complicated history with my family as well. I, I didn't speak to them for almost 11 years, but uh, during that time, you know, it took a lot of personal healing. And I, I, I don't really believe that like forgiveness is necessary, right? I think we can move on and evolve and grow um, in certain aspects and really like see people for what they were in certain situations. And I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about like the traumatic stuff, like that shit was fucked up, you know, like, yeah. but I also know that I don't need to forgive it and I can move on to it in whatever capacity is right for me. For me to be where I am but I, I really saw the full story of I think over that period of time and then now specifically trying to kind of embrace the roots and talk about it in a public way and really cook the food of my people um, that the main thing about this diaspora culture is that like there is some really ingrained genetic traumas that have been passed down through generation and it all has to do with survival you know talking about like for all I know in the most history that I can actually find, it goes like six generations back and everybody's been running, you know, or they've been forced out or they've been kicked out or they've, you know, gone through these really, really traumatic things. So I think that yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is ultimately what gets passed down, right, For in the sense of like protecting who is there now. Um, yeah, I, I, I made a mistake and threw us into the deep end of this pool of, and maybe not a mistake, right? Uh, without, without maybe realizing that the audience may not know what diaspora culture is, right? Right. Especially if they're not part of a culture that has moved from one place to another, whether right. it was for a better life or they were forced out, right? right? And I guess if we want to put it simply as simple as can be, right? Even though it's a really complicated topic, that is what uh, uh, diaspora culture is in your mouth, listeners, for those of you who may not know. And, you know, um, even me being Puerto Rican is part of diaspora culture, right? Yep. Because of, you know, the Commonwealth and the, colonial the colonialization of Puerto Rico and what America has done to the island, people have had to move for better things. The Mexican people, right, moving from Mexico into America, other other example of diaspora culture. And diaspora culture really, really, whether you know it or not, affect, has affected and still is affecting the way we eat. Yep. It plays a huge part in the way we eat. The, re the reason we eat guacamole today is because of diaspora culture. Totally. Yep. You know? So, so, yes, I just kind of wanted to bring us back really quick before we we kept swimming around in in like the the deep end. Absolutely. You know what I, yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Just for the listener of it all, because I didn't want them to leave. I didn't want to leave them behind being like, yeah. wait, what about us? You know? For sure, for sure. <laughs> no, preference is super important, especially with something as like 
you know. You know, and I mean, it'll be it'll be a whole other four hour podcast if we really kind of wanted to explore that whole thing. But I I, I thought it was important to touch touch upon it because even with Chef Maria Maison, right, being being Mexican, right, it was a we had such a great episode and such a such a fantastic. like moment and connection much like I feel like I have with you and I was like oh that was a missed moment I wanted to go back and talk to her with about it and even with Michael Twitty talking you know researching the the ancestry uh, the ancestry of like African foods and tracing all the foods back to Africa right and, like there's we talked we touched upon it but didn't and it's important to hear and it's important to kind of kind of know from whence we came right uh, almost for almost the same reason why I feel like it's important that I I talk about gay history at the beginning of every episode, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's so it's so rooted. And I think that like, you know, regardless of at least for me personally, regardless of what my relationship is with my biological family, have you, whatever that means. Like, mm-hmm. um I still I felt really isolated, even though I was completely immersed, you know, in yeah. in the culture. And like, there was still a part of it, though, that I felt like I I didn't have the connection that I personally needed. And food was the way that I found that, you know. And there was a lot of aspects of who I am, like, uh, like my culture, like my Assyrian culture versus my Palestinian culture, right? That a lot of people throughout my career didn't want me to talk about the Palestinian aspect of who I am. They asked me to tone it down, you know? And that was the one that I felt the most connected to. And like food-wise especially. And I think that for me, the way that I, the, the food of the diaspora that I come from has healed in many ways my relationship with my community, for me, you know, and my, like, the way that I feel about the things that I went through uh, with my family, like, finding the connective peace through food has really brought me, like, a sense of solace in, and focus on, like, who I am and who my people are um, from a cultural aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also, you said something really important about feeling isolated whilst being immersed in the culture. And from those, for those of us out there who come from, like, really cultural, like, grounded, you know, um, families, uh, I can absolutely relate, you know, um, just uh, maybe in a different way, but relate in the sense of, you know, trying to trying to grow and figure oneself out. And, you know, I grew up in a family where I didn't know what, we never talked about what gay meant. I didn't, I just knew it was bad because everything yeah. around me pointed to bad. And the yeah. popular kids were white. And I wanted to be that. I didn't want to be other. I didn't want to be this, right? And feeling isolated because no one understood. Totally. No one got it. Right. And it's and so I pushed that part away from me for a long time till I had queer people in my life who yep. basically would showed me what I was missing out on. And that's so much we find that so often, especially with us from diaspora cultures, right, who are LGBTQ because it is survival and yeah, it's survival. Right. And it's just like, yeah, it's hiding and it's doing what you need to do. It's, you know. 
for um, your protection, for your safety, for whatever, whether it's like, you know, yeah. mental, physical, you or know, even while you're trying life. to figure it out, even yep. just trying to figure it out. Period. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, ah, you took me to. Yes, I love it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 so beautiful, and the way you speak is so fantastic, and and um, I, I I really love talking to you. What what is what is your like key to success? Like, what 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 makes Marcel tick? <laughs> Um, self-education, you know, like I go on these rabbit holes and I, I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't even know I graduated high school. Honestly, I didn't know I, I had a high school diploma, diploma until I was studying for my GED when I was 25. Like, and they were like, Oh, you have a, I'm like, how? Okay. I definitely like dropped out of high school early in my first semester of senior year. I didn't even know. I, I don't know how I got a diploma, but I did. Um, so I didn't have the option to go to culinary school. I didn't have any of these options. And, you know, at the time we're talking about like early two thousands, the internet wasn't in our pockets either, you know, and it, I just immersed myself in things that I found interesting. I've always been an avid reader. Um, and I used to sit in like Barnes and Nobles and read through every single cookbook that was there. Once I really realized that was the world that I wanted to be a part of, you know. Oh my and God. Remember, the kids don't know. They don't know. Remember sitting in the set, in like the aisles of Barnes and Nobles, just reading? Oh my gosh. And I was like such a little asshole. I just like take the books, like have a stack, you know, kick back on the bookcase and just flip through for hours. But that was a thing. That was absolutely a thing. Like, oh my god. I, I and I remember when I was a young just a young gay fledgling, right? Not even out of the closet. I would go and pick up the out magazine, yep. the attitude magazine. Yeah, the advocate. Yep, and yep. just sit in the sacks in the corner. Yep. Nobody's going to find me here. Yep. 100%. And it it's just that idea of like not being afraid to seek out the information that you're looking for, right? And obviously there's a lot of misinformation out there, but when you're talking about you know these like specific trades like the culinary worlds right there is so much information especially now so i think that look like there's this unfortunate trope i think i think this is really unfortunate i don't like this when people are like everybody thinks they can be a chef now well yeah like so what so so great so now we have more accessibility to information and the window and the world has broadened in a way that more people can now be a part of this and you know people want to like snuff their noses like well no this is actually a good thing that more people have access this is a good thing that the type of people that are maybe interested in it aren't all white cisgendered men you know like this is a really good thing that this accessibility has allowed more people to find interest in this. And just because you spent whatever you did on culinary school and somebody might be self-educated doesn't mean that they can't be as good of a cook as you are, right? It's all practice. And, and sometimes and, better. Yeah, and sometimes better, you know? And so even in my own kitchens when I'm hiring, like I don't I don't require people to have experience. Like I'm I'm happy to share what I know, if that's something you're interested in, you know what I mean? And I think that if in particular, like 
I would say that if you're interested in getting into the culinary world, don't be afraid to self-educate yourself, you know? And if it's, if you want to root it back to like something about you and who you are culturally, go ahead, like throw yourself into that and then do your research. Like we, like if you want to work at a particular restaurant, I mean, obviously everyone's hiring right now, but do your research about who you're working for as well. Absolutely. And listen, you are a testament to that. I am a testament to that. My listeners know that I had uh, I was baking cakes, wedding cakes out of 120 square feet in Times Square. And I am self-taught. Yep. Every, every cake made me cry. Every last one <laughs> made me cry. But uh, they came out stunning. Yeah. You know, I taught like I'm self-taught cook. Right. I would be I'd be serving in these restaurants, these fine dining establishments. And I'd have short rib for the first time. I, I'd have mushrooms for the first time. I'd have whatever for the first time. I'd be like, how did they do that? And I try to go home and yeah. recreate. Totally. Right. Totally. I was obsessed with making Jacques Pepin. Uh, I was obsessed with watching YouTube videos of, of Jacques Pepin making French omelets for <laughs> weeks <laughs> till I perfected it. Now I, now I think if I did it, I don't, I, cause I don't really remember, <laughs> but I got it right. And they were delicious every day. Just stirring those eggs, you know? So yeah, like we are a testament to that. And although I don't necessarily call my chef, uh, call myself a chef because I think there's a certain amount of dedication and hours that I ha- personally haven't put in. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that like there are people out there who can't, who can't, who won't, you know, and who don't deserve the title. You know? Yeah, and I I think that it's probably more so the ones that have been granted it who might even actually have the experience that what a traditional chef would. I think that there's an ego and a a chip that needs to be lost because you know what? Ultimately, it's just food. Yeah, it is. It it really is. And and as long as there's, I think, you know, and uh, maybe you can attest to this, as long as there's there's a passion behind it like because you really love it and there's right and you're kind of honest with yourself and grounded in yourself like it it comes out through the food it does come out through the food absolutely you know in arabic we call it nafas and that means like your soul and certain people and traditionally it's the concept is um when you refer to like a home cook Mm -hmm. and you say that they cook with nafas and nafas literally means like with one's breath, but the connotation around it like implies that it's like their their essence, their soul is being cooked into it, you know? And yeah. so we say when you cook with nafas, like you can taste it. Like you can taste the passion, the essence, the soul of the hands that are like creating it. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I wish I was tasting right now? <laughs> Some of that chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Big news on that, though, you know. Oh, my God. I love that. You were like, some of that chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're cracking me up. <laughs> oh, my God. What's next for you, Marcel? I mean, uh, after, uh, after you've done it, you've done so much. What's next? What's next before we close out? I'm closing up. This iteration of Shababi on the 10th of September. Okay. Um, big news coming up. I hope that we can announce 
by early October. Uh, I mean, you know, it's obviously I'm not hiding it. A brick and mortar. We, we love uh, a teaser. We love yeah, a teaser and a cliffhanger on the of some variety that will certainly be inspired by this iteration of Shababi. Uh, I'm so excited. Like, <laughs> I've worked so hard for so long. My wife and I, she's been in the industry as well, you know, and we actually like calculated how much money we made other people throughout our career. And it was like a disgusting amount. And I just think about all the moments in which we like fought for these like really minimal salaries while we were making these other people all this money. So like, even though I'm really excited about the food that's going to happen in this brick and mortar, I'm most excited about breaking this archaic system from the top and like giving everybody like equitable salaries and like giving them unlimited time off. And from the moment they step foot as, you know, a part of the brick and mortar, like I want them to feel empowered and like this can be their only job and they can work 40 hours a week and not have to worry about financial security. So like, even though I'm really excited about, you know, doing Palestinian food, in a broader aspect and having the brick and mortar, this being my first like real ownership endeavor. uh, I'm mostly excited about how we're going to change these old school systems in the industry. I love that. I love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. I feel like we're just going to leave it there. This has been an excellent, excellent day with you. I, I really, I really, really, really can't thank you enough for coming on the pod. I almost want to like kidnap you and have you be like a permanent co-host because I'm obsessed. <laughs> I absolutely it's been a total honor. Maybe we can do it again. Um, listen, me podcast as Sue podcast, and you are welcome in my home. We are fam now forever, BFF forever. All right. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, give the kids, give the children all the handles, where they can find you, all the websites. Give it to them all. So if you want to follow Shababi, we're on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, at Shababi Chicken, S-H-A-B-A-B-I Chicken. And then my personal handles, M-A-R-C-E-L-L-E underscore G on Instagram. Um, I don't really do the others. I have a Twitter that I like don't really use, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, shababichicken.com. Um, and keep up with the evolution of the brand, uh, which should come to fruition over the next few months. Super stoked about so, absolutely. Oh my god, last question yeah. uh, drums or flats? <laughs> flats, flats, why flats? Oh, In one bite. <laughs> One bite. Yeah, people don't know. People still don't know about the one bite flat move. Yeah. You know, the bite and, and pull. And like, you know, speaking of like diaspora culture and survival, like all I remember is my uncle sitting around breaking chicken bones and sucking out marrow and like chewing on the bones and stuff. And when you got flats, you get two bones versus one. So like, let's go. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, A, you better bring a full circle and B, you literally just said on a podcast called In Your Mouth, two bones are better than one. <laughs> In Your Mouth listeners, 
Oh my God, what a great effing episode with Marcella from. Well, I've, I've said a thank you a million times and I will thank say you. thank you thank a you. million more for giving me of your time, for sharing your story with me, for letting me, you know, be a custodian of, of your words. I think it's, I'm honored and um, I, I, yeah, I love you for that. So thank you, thank you, thank Daniel, you so much. Anyone listeners, we are in September, right? I don't I don't know what that means. Um we're just here, we're plowing away. Uh gird your loins for PSL season. And before you know it, I and you're not gonna like what I have to say, it's going to be Christmas. The holidays are going to be upon us because we blinked and it is now September. So I don't know what's happening, but gird your loins, honey, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Other than that, have a great day. Take care of yourselves. Go get a COVID booster shot if you're eligible. And if you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Don't at me. That's that's where I stand on it. And other than that, all I have to say is thank you for listening to In Yo Man.